This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at indepthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 8 this morning. Now, if you'll remember, we looked at the offerings, uh, the burn offering, the meal offering, uh, the peace offering, the sin and trespass offering. And when it comes to the sin offering, there is quite a bit of importance there because uh, when the sin offering was, was offered, it covered the sins of the people. Very important. But remember that without priestly mediation, the importance of the offerings was not there. In other words, if you did not have a priest to take the offerings, to go through the different things that they did, you could not have an effective offering. So priestly mediation is necessary and very, very important. Now what I want to look at this morning is the consecration of the priest. And that's in chapter 8. Now let's turn there. I want to read one verse. Verse 12. And he poured the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. And here you have Moses anointing Aaron or him pouring the oil of anointing on him. And many times Christians, they desire to have the anointing. They would love to have the anointing oil poured on them, and and that is a very good desire, but I want to show you some things that precede the anointing here with oil, and then we're going to look after that what occurred after the anointing with oil, because these things leading up to and after that are extremely important. Let's start with one verse here. Verse number 6. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Now this doesn't really show you in this verse the whole picture of what's really happening. So turn to uh, Leviticus 16. Verse 4. And he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall, he, and, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall, um, shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. So in this verse here, what we're seeing is that first there is a stripping. When it talks about the linen breeches, does anyone know what the linen breeches are? 
See, the linen breeches were the undergarments, so to speak. Um, it, was, it was given by God to cover the priest's nakedness. So they would be similar. They, they went from the hip to the thigh. They would be similar to like, like boxers. They covered the, the priest's nakedness. So in order to clothe the priest, in order to dress the priest, the first thing that had to happen, or, or to wash the priest, the first thing that had to happen was a stripping. And I have found in my experience uh, with God that this happens to each Christian who is willing. God will come and He will in spirit strip us of certain things that are necessary. Those things must be taken out of the way. Those things must be uh, brought you know, out from us, away from us, taken care of, this whole, whole idea of stripping. Those things have to occur so that God can continue this process that we're seeing here in Leviticus 8. Because the next thing he's going to move on to is the washing. So first, before you have the washing, you have the stripping. So back in Leviticus 8, verse 6, And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them. Now remember this, <clears throat> that the washing was not just to be an outward washing. Now, of course, we know that the priest was washed, physically washed. That's the literal meaning there. But there was more to happen than that. See, we have this idea that in, in, in Christian circles that tradition is wrong, it's evil, it's, it's, you know, it's not good. But God set up all these traditions in Leviticus, with the, especially with the offerings. The, the, the priest had to go through certain traditions. It says of Job that Job, when his sons went and feasted, that it was his tradition, so to speak, that he went and he offered burnt offerings for them. See, that was a tradition. Daniel prayed three times, as his custom was. See, that was tradition. Jesus went in to the synagogues, as his custom was, his tradition. Paul the Apostle, he went and disputed or reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue, as his tradition was. But see, the problem is when tradition becomes a tradition, when all that takes place is this surface thing, you as your tradition is, you have got up this morning and you came to church. See, that was a tradition. That was your tradition and that's not necessarily bad. 
When Daniel prayed three times a day, that tradition, as his custom was, was not necessarily bad. But if all your tradition is, is that you come to church, and it ends there, then there's a problem. See, because more is to occur in your life than coming to church. See, with the priest, they had the outward washing. But see, more was to occur in the life of the priest than the outward washing. There was to be an inward working or a washing that was done also, not just the traditional thing on the outside. And you can see this in the Scriptures. If we confess with our mouth, or if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. See, if we confess our sins, that's the the stripping. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. See, that's, that's the faithfulness of God. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, there's the washing. And it doesn't say that He cleanses us from sin. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that word there is dealing with character. The character of the individual. So, so the washing or the cleansing is to do more with the priest than this outward thing. It's to work a work in them or there is to be this inner cleansing. Jesus said that you are clean through the words which I have spoken unto you. See, that's not an outward washing. That's, a, that's an inner washing. Jesus was concerned about that. In Leviticus chapter 1, and also in 8, where we're looking, you will see that the priests, they took the animal, the offering, they flayed it, they cut it, they opened it up, and they washed the inward parts with water. See, an inward washing. See, that's what God's concerned about. How does the church become a glorious church? I want to read this to you. That he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. See, there is an inner working there. There is a washing that occurs. So when this ritualistic thing occurred when Moses washed Aaron, it was not to be just a physical thing. Something was to happen on the inside. And, and that was bore witness of in the life of, of Aaron. And also when you see Nadab and Abihu who only had this physical thing and not the inner washing, you see the results from their lives. See, so, so the Lord is after more than just the, the, the thing on the surface. When, when you hear people talk about, and I hear this occasionally about being kings and priests, that's taken from Revelation. And if you go to Revelation uh, chapter 1 and you read that verse, and then you read the preceding verse, you will see that it, it's the washing that enables the individual, whoever, to become 
a king and priest. And there's another scripture in Revelation where it says that, that he hath... Let's see, how's it go? He hath made us kings and priests. See, so there, there's a making, some, there's some process involved there. He shall make us kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And the second thing in that verse that draws my attention is the we. Who's the we? If you go to the epistle of John, John uses the word we. We have seen, we have heard, we have um, handled. That we declare unto you that you may have fellowship with us. So he uses the word we and us, but it's not an all-inclusive word. So in, in this thing with the priest, I don't believe it's an all-inclusive thing. The priest, in order to be the priest, to actually mediate the way God has set the thing up, there needs to be a consecration of the priest, so there needs to be a stripping, there needs to be a washing. And now the next thing in Leviticus 8, verse 7. Now the priest is going to be clothed. Now, before we read that, I want to read one verse from uh, Zechariah. Because this, this verse kind of includes this, this whole thought here, that these three things that we're looking at. Now, this is talking about Joshua, who was the high priest at that time. And it says this, And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. See, that's, that's the stripping. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. That's the washing. And I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. See, that's the dressing. So, so the priest here, the high priest, or those that are consecrated will go through the same identical process whether they are aware or unaware. And so now you come here to verse 7. And he put upon him the coat and girded him with a girdle and clothed him with a robe and put the ephah upon him. And he girded him with a curious girdle of the ephah and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the, the, the breastplate upon him. Also he put the breast, in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. So in this list you have certain things that are particular to the high priest. And then you have other things that are um, common to all priests. But, but the point is that they had to be, to be dressed. They had to be clothed. By, by the order of the Lord through Moses. Now turn to Exodus. I want to show you a verse here. Because you see the same basic thing here in Exodus 28 and 29. Go to Exodus 28. Uh, one verse. Verse 36, and thou shalt make a plate of gold. Now he's talking again here about, about dressing uh, the high priest. Thou, thou shalt make a plate of pure gold 
Engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. That word holiness means set apart. Set apart unto the Lord. Set apart, Christian, unto him. Now remember that the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies and see all these things as far as him personally had to be right. And if they weren't, what occurred? He died. So you cannot fake consecration. Oh, you may fake it to someone else around you. But the Lord knows and sees. The high priest may have tried to fake his consecration to those around him. But when he went in before the Lord, it was either real or it wasn't. And he paid the price or he didn't. And so God will set certain aside for his will, for his purpose, He has brought you, Christian, out from among the world. And He wants to work in this process in your life of stripping, washing, and clothing so that you can be effective in the purpose and the will of God that He has has desired for your life uh, as an individual. But we can't skirt that which is necessary to bring about the purpose of God. You just just can't get around certain things. It's just the way it is. Now, there is a scripture in Numbers. And I found this very interesting when I was reading it. The Lord says that that the priest, and we, we looked at this before, that the priest was to take the best cut of meat. He was to take the shoulder and the breast. And remember what he did with the shoulder? He would, would heave it. This verse in Numbers deals with, with heaving the shoulder, and it says that when you take this part of the animal, take, when you take the best of it, and you heave it up, you are to do that as I have, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing, how I have shown you so that you do not die. So the spiritual thing may have been, well, I'll take a lesser portion of meat and give the Lord the best. The Lord says, I'm looking at your consecration here, and I want to see if you're going to obey exactly what I'm telling you to do. And when you heave that up, it needs to be the best because that's your portion. So consecration, you know, goes much deeper than, than what we know and what we hear of in, in Christianity, you know, basically by and large. It's something, something that is to move much, much deeper than it, than it has been in the lives of individuals. 
Turn to Leviticus 21. Now, after that, you have, now you came down. After that process, you came down to the anointing. And as I said before, you know, everyone wants the anointing oil poured on them. But many times we don't see the process involved for that to be effective. Now, I looked at this word anointing, and it has different meanings. But one of the meanings here means to be separated for God's purpose. And as I was looking at this, it it mentioned Leviticus, and it said that the priest had to be restricted, or they were restricted in their activities, which I thought was very interesting. So you want to be a priest unto God. Okay, you want to be a consecrated one. Well, one of the things involved there is that there is a restriction of activities, certain activities. Maybe something that you were involved with. Now the Lord's going to restrict that and say, now you need to turn your attention to others that you would give to others, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. But there's some type of restriction there involved. So Leviticus 21, verse 12. Neither shall you go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the crown of the anointing oil, or the dedication, that means the dedication of the anointing oil of God is upon him. Now, the NIV says this, uh, because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil. So there, there, there was this anointing, but they had to remain in the sanctuary at this time. See, this whole process went on for seven days, the consecration. The greater the work that God wants to do in our lives, the greater the pressure to leave the sanctuary. If you want God to work in your life and in your heart, you can better, (laughs) you could be assured that the pressure will come to move you out of the sanctuary. You want to be a consecrated one. God wants you to be a consecrated one. God wants to pour the anointing oil. But we have to remain in the sanctuary. I was yesterday at work, and all of a sudden I got this heaviness. And um, I The Lord brought certain things back to my mind. And I thought about certain individuals that were consecrated at one time and have moved out of the sanctuary. Very sad. Not something that God intends. 
God wants the anointing upon your life. But you need to remain faithful, and you have to be in the sanctuary. You have to be where God wants you to be. And don't allow the pressures of things. Don't allow these other things that are going on in the world and around us to move us out. You know, we know these things in our head. And we know, you know, that the things of the world call to us and pull us. And we know that. But see, it will take the work of God and the anointing of God upon us to keep us where we're to be, regardless of the different pressures that come on us. And I don't believe there's any person here that hasn't experienced to some degree this pull to go. I shared with you a while back that over the last few years, I have never in my Christian walk experienced a pressure like that to, to be moved out, you know, to some other area. And the Lord was showing me some things in that and showing me how weak I am and how much I need Him. Exodus 30. Oh, the flesh. The flesh. The flesh. Exodus 30. Verse 31. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. God is not going to pour the anointing oil on your flesh. So if, if you move out into some other area, and you can say that, you know, this is where God has me, and, and this is the will of God. I mean, I hear this stuff sometimes, and, and, I, and I say, you know, our, our, the blindness. Where's, where's the Lord working here? There's the blindness is upon their eyes. And get over there and think that God is going to pour the anointing oil on? He's not going to pour it on flesh. Verse 32. Neither shall you make any other like it. After the composition of it, it shall be holy, and it, it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger. So it's not for the common use, the common individual, or, or let me put it this way, for the common Christian who doesn't want to be consecrated, who wants to live their life the way they want to live it, and they don't want to walk in the way of God for their life, this oil is not for them. And I don't care if they say, you know, they're anointed or not, and I don't care if a person runs back and forth across the front and jumps and does cartwheels and uh, yells and, and preaches loud, it has nothing, nothing to do 
with having the anointed oil, the anointing oil upon the individual. So you need to discern something in spirit. See, so can you discern the anointing? Well, if you can't, you need to go to the Lord and ask him to show you. Now, I want to look now in Leviticus 8. Now, these are the things that, that were leading up to verse 12, uh, where it says that he poured the anointing oil upon Aaron's head. Now, what takes place after that is, is really very <laughs> telling also. Because it doesn't stop there with the, the anointing oil poured upon him. In verse 23. Now verse 22 is talking about the ram of consecration. They, they actually, during this time, there were three animals that they sacrificed. They sacrificed a bullock. Um, and they sacrificed two, uh, two rams. Each were for a specific purpose. But in verse 23... And he showed it, and Moses took um, of, of the blood, excuse me, and he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it, and he put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. So the first thing he does with his blood is that he applies it to the right ear of Aaron's lobe here, the very bottom of his ear. And this is dealing with hearing. I like the scripture in Samuel where Samuel runs to Eli. And you know, Eli was the priest. And he says, you know, here I am, Lord. And Eli says to him, well, I didn't call you. Go back and, and, and lay down. And so Samuel goes back and lays down. And then he hears Someone calling again, and he gets up, and he runs to Eli again. And this, this happens three times. And then it says that, this is very interesting, that, that Eli perceived that it was the Lord. Now, Samuel, he is just at this point, so to speak, having the blood applied to his ear or his hearing. Now, from this point on, he's going to start to hear the Lord. But here you have this priest who should have heard the word of the Lord, he should have recognized, uh, at least by the second time, that it was the voice of the Lord. He, he doesn't know. But the point is that you had the anointing of, of Samuel's ear. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, he speaks and he corrects the churches. And with different churches, he says different things. I, ha I see this is good, and, and, and I have this against you, and so on and so forth. But there is one common thread, one thing he says to every church, and it is, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Are you aware that the verb there, let him hear, the Greek verb is in the imperative mood, and Jesus was commanding them to hear. 
Well, here you have the anointing, then you have the blood. Now you'll be able to hear. Now I'm commanding you to hear what I say. What the Spirit says to the church, to you. Next you go to the thumb. Now the thumb deals with uh, the hand, of course. It deals with certain things. Turn to Judges, chapter 1. Judges, chapter 1, verse 4. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew, they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the, and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and they caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, or seventy kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, and as I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. The thumb here, having the blood placed upon the thumb, the thumb refers to the power of the hand to, to wield a weapon, or the power to, to do that which needs to be done in this case. So, so the, the, the spiritual application would be that we are to allow the Lord to take the blood and apply it to the thumb, hence giving our physical power or our physical strength over to God. I don't know about you, but, you know, I only have so much strength, and as I get older, it seems as though it's becoming less. And, and when I get home sometimes from work, and the Lord's drawing me to, to, to go in and study, I know I only have so much time. So sometimes when I come home from work, I go in right away, and I may spend an hour, an hour and a half, you know, because I know that I'm going to fade, and I'll be sleeping, I'll fall asleep. See, we need to give our physical strength to the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about in a carnal way. I'm talking about, you know, working for Him, doing what He, he desires, doing His will, His purpose for our life, giving our strength to that and not all these other things that, that can draw us away and move us to another place. So the thumb deals with power. It also deals with dexterity. Now, I have a little assignment for a couple of you. And I was thinking who I should ask. And I think it's going to be Dan and Jen. This is your assignment this week. You're going to go home sometime this week. You're going to go in the kitchen and prepare something. This is only a five-minute homework. And you can tell us next week uh, how, how it went. You take your thumbs and you tape them or tie them like this. Then go in to the kitchen and start to make a salad and, and try to make a meal, just for five minutes. And you're going to find out 
that you have no dexterity without your thumbs. You can't grip, you can't pick up. Things that you could pick up with one hand, it'll take two hands now to pick them up. You won't be able to do things. In Exodus, it talks about um, the curtains of the tabernacle. And, and God gave Moses instructions to have, have this um, purple, blue, purple, and scarlet uh, thread embroidery done on the curtains and to make an embroidered cherubim. And then it goes on and talks about uh, the skillful embroiderer. See, there is no such thing as skillfulness without the thumb. You can't do that. You can't embroider. You can't do the fine, the fine work. Um, the, the high priest's garment also had this thread woven into it. This, these three colors woven into it. See, this speaks to the dexterity or the skill of the Spirit of God at work in you and through you. The dexterity. And anoint that thumb, see? So that you will be able to skillfully walk and move as you should. The hand also... Uh, means, the, means the means by which something is accomplished. Uh, you see this in the scripture. We just read a scripture about, in, in Judges here, about um, I will give him into your hand. Uh, in, in Joshua, it talks about um, going up to Ai, and the Lord says, I will give the king of Ai into your hand. Why not into your back or into your shoulder? I'm going to give him into your hand because that is the means by which something is accomplished. You know, you go in the kitchen and you start cooking. The main means by which you accomplish making a meal is going to be your hands. So, so your hands, the means by which things are done, that needs to have the blood applied to it, so that when you go forth in Him, you are able to, to function and move in the proper means that God has designed for you. The means. And there's one more thing that I see here. The hand deals with activity. And see, with the priest... Their activity now is not the things of the world. Now it is in the sanctuary, ministering every day. I was actually thinking about this. When the priest went home and they went to their tent, if, if the tent pole was, was broken, they may have fixed it. But, but as far as them getting involved with a lot of different things, they didn't have time to. They were involved in the work of the sanctuary, and believe me, it was work. Taking these animals and, you know, flaying them, skinning them, cutting them, uh, 
arranging the wood, keeping the fire going, uh, putting the animals up there, you know, all the things that they had to do, taking the blood, uh, you know, applying the blood to, to the uh, horns of the altar, all these this things. Activity. These things accomplished by the hand. See, the activity now is changed from what it used to be to now it's the purpose of God and nothing else. Well, it doesn't mean you can't do a few things, but that's not the thrust of your heart. That's not the thrust of the priest's life. The next thing here in Leviticus uh, 8, verse 23, is the right toe. And, of course, that deals with having a, a sanctified walk. There, there's a scripture, and I don't know if I can quote it, that uh, talks about um, the vocation, walk in the vocation wherewith you have been called, I think it is. Paul says that. Well, you know, you can't do that without the Lord's help. You cannot do that without somehow going through these processes that we're seeing here in Leviticus 8. God applies the blood to the toe. I, I know a man, I was over his house one day, and we're sitting there talking, and uh, he says the strangest thing to me. He says, he says, did you ever notice when you come over that I never take off my shoes? I said, no. <laughs> Why would I notice that? He says, I never walk around uh, barefooted, or I never walk around with a with socks, always with shoes. I'm sitting there thinking, what's the point here? So he takes off his shoe, and he shows me his one big toe was cut off in an accident when he was young. And uh, he says, I keep my shoe on because if I take it off and I try to walk around the house, I lose my balance. The blood applied to the toe, see, it, it, it is to help your equilibrium so that you can walk with God, that you can, as it says in Galatians, walk in the Spirit. See, see we, we do not have the ability in ourselves to walk in the Spirit. There must be something that the Lord does in us. And of course, this is... We're relating this exterior thing to an interior thing, of course, you know. But he must do something in us where there is anointing of our walk to keep us, you know, moving in the right way, to keep us walking as we should so that we don't lose our balance and stumble and fall out of the way. The blood applied to the big toe. So you have these three areas that the Lord here uh, deals with. After the anointing with the oil, one is our hearing, one is our doing, and the other is our, our going. All worked upon in the Christian by the Spirit of God, all three. 
There's a very interesting verse in, I think they're all interesting, but some more interesting than others. You know, God has called out, uh, he has called out to the masses of Christians, I believe. And he wants to call out priests. Whenever he brings the Israelites out of um, Egypt, there's a verse in Exodus where God says, I want to make the entire nation priests. But you know what? If you follow along in the chapters after that, there's something that occurs there, I believe disqualifies them all from being priests, and that was the, the, the golden calf. Then after the golden calf, what you see is the Levites. You see, you see God calling them out to be the priests. But, but in the beginning, the opportunity was, I believe, to the entire nation to be priests. So I was looking at that and thinking, you know, we always want to take things and change things, you know, to, to fit our modern theology. And I was wondering if there are qualifying factors other than just being saved when it comes to being a priest. As you hear Christians say this, oh, oh, we're kings and priests. Well, maybe they are and maybe they're not. Now, God was interested in getting this thing right. He goes through this consecration for seven days because remember that you had the offerings and for the offerings to be uh, correct and right, you had to have priestly mediation and without the consecration of the priest, you couldn't have the proper mediation, hence you cannot have an effective offering. The priests, see, see the offerings were to bring the people into right standing with God. I'm talking about the sin and trespass offering. Bringing them into right relationship with God. Now, the office of the priest was to step in here now and help to maintain that relationship between God and the people. See, so, so this office was extremely important, and the consecration of the priest was very important. Now, in comparison to the consecration of Christians today, this is on a much higher plane as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Christians think that oh, I'm going to come up front to the altar, and I'm not meaning you, I'm just speaking in general. I'm going to come up to the altar, and I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to consecrate and dedicate my life to God, and that's it. Well, that's good. That's a start. But there's more to consecration than coming to the altar. There's more to consecration than praying to God. There's more to consecration than reading and waiting upon the Lord. It will take the work of God in certain areas to bring this thing to pass the way He wants so that there's an effective ministering of the priest. Well, how important is your consecration? And I'll, I'll close with that. 
How important is your consecration? Turn to Leviticus 8. Or I think it's, maybe it's 9. Yeah, it's not 9. How important is your consecration, Christian? I'm going to show you something here. And, and when I read this verse, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I study and I read these verses, and I just, sometimes I just sit there and shake my head and say, Lord, <laughs> well, you know, help me. <laughs> Work in my life, Lord. Do what you want. Because sometimes these things, to, to me, are, it's like they're out there, and I'm back here. And I say, Lord, I know, I know it's within your power and your, your grace to, to bring me. Help me, Lord. In verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. The glory of the Lord did not appear before consecration. So that your consecration to God will be the thing that opens your eyes to the glory of the Lord. Without your consecration you will see, maybe not see, or be very, very limited when it comes to seeing the glory of the Lord. So how important is it? Well, without it, we may not see His glory. Okay, I think we'll continue with this next week um, and look at something else in um, the next chapter. Shall flow rivers of living.